This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this midweek edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Seattle Mariners winning the series two games to one. They are currently still technically in fourth place in the American League East, eight games back of the division-leading Tampa Bay Rays. There is essentially a three-way tie for the two wildcard spots between the Red Sox, Blue Jays, and Yankees. Red Sox are currently in third of those teams due to percentage points. We'll be getting into more of that probably later on. Quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, Let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at Cushman MLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. That is the more fun account of the two. Co-hosting with me tonight from the mile high city of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Dwan. What's going on, guys? Pretty well rested over here. I don't know how you guys are doing with these 10 p.m. games uh, on the East Coast. <laughs> Pretty brutal. I'm not going to lie. I didn't make it to the end of uh, either one of the first two. <laughs> I, Today uh, was a little bit easier. Yeah. Luckily, I had today off so I could catch up on the last uh, three or four innings uh, from last night. Uh, so good enough. Also co-hosting with us tonight from the nation's capital by way of Newport, Rhode Island, Job Goddard. How you doing, everybody? You can find me on Twitter, by the way, at Job MLB. That's J-O-B-M-L-B. If you were up with me on Twitter the last three nights, you know how I'm feeling about this team. But if you haven't been following me on Twitter, I'm going to tell you in a moment anyway. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Andrew, uh, where can they find you? Excuse me, at Andrew Dwan MLB, all one word. Easy enough. You know, I'm drinking a girly drink right now. It's uh, Mike's hard lemonade, but it's the pineapple. Oh, I love that stuff. It's the pineapple, though. It's so good. And it's, that sounds so good. It's got the pulp in it, too. Like, that's polarizing. Some people hate that. I think it's delicious. But, but anyway, so... Uh, it's my first one, just for the record. I'm not operating a podcast while under the influence. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, 
thoughts on the series just generally we won it i didn't think we were going to win it i picked us to lose it and after we lost game one i thought we might get swept i didn't think Evaldi would necessarily get the run support but what were you guys' thoughts yeah it was up to nate the stopper kind of what he's been all year long they've won his last five starts um gonna get into it a little bit more, more later but he was crazy good and he did everything they needed him to do and once he uh battled through the first couple innings there I, I had a pretty good feeling yeah i watched all three games i made it all the way through all three games it was a, a tough series to watch as far as brand of baseball how the teams were playing played a lot of close games this week i'll tell you what it's taken its toll on the team and it's taken its toll on me so thank god for this off day yeah, and arguably it's probably the toughest remaining team on the schedule aside from maybe the Yankees. But, uh, you know, I, I kind of think we're catching them at the right time. We'll get into that more next week, though, and this is the show that will cover that, uh, the preview anyway for that series. But but at least we're still right there, and we didn't, we didn't drop three in a row, especially today with health pitching. I, I was pretty nervous about that. So just a quick recap, the scores. Monday lost that one 5-4. Eduardo Rodriguez had the start. Tuesday win that one 8-4. Nathan Avaldi started that game. And then today in the finale, the Red Sox win that one in extra innings, an explosive uh, 10th inning uh, to score several runs, win that one, win the series. Houck got the start. Getting it out of the way, attention listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Boston, do we have a pew problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new Lawnmower 4.0. Kick your pubes to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job for the leaders in male grooming. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com that's 20% off plus free shipping with the code fansided20 at manscaped.com for a clean trinity and beyond your space balls will thank you getting back into the show studs and duds red Sox won the series we will start on the stud side andrew who's your stud well, like I just hinted at a second ago, mine was Nady Evaldi. Um, they needed him to come through. He did, despite the defense's best efforts to completely screw him over. Uh, there was some really crap performances behind him. And I don't know how he got out. I think it was the second inning. And it looked like he could have given up a handful of runs, and he got through it. And that is exactly what they needed. And I don't – 
it was it took some balls on him the shout out manscaped to get through that too i because you know you got bases chucked and those are high stress pitches but he got through five struck out nine kind of the same thing he's been doing all year long and i think he's your ace i i i mean we debated this a couple weeks ago who's your guy in the one game playoff it's nady evaldi and they're gonna lean on him um Team Cushman joining Team Cushman on that one. <laughs> I thought it was going to be uh, Sale. I was leaning more towards Sale, but I, Nate's been just absolutely, unquestionably the leader of this pitching staff, um, starters and relievers. I'm thrilled. I can't believe we almost traded him for uh, who's that idiot in New York now? Rudnett Odor last year in a salary swap. Imagine if he was doing this down in Arlington. Oh, man. Uh, we'd be 20 games out of first place right now if it wasn't for Nate. Go ahead, Joe. And the Yankees would be better off because Nate would be in Texas and Rusnet Odor would be in Boston. So the Yankees would be winning more games. He's terrible. Um, Nate was very good when he needed to get outs at executing his slider. Fastball command was good. The velocity was not there, which was a little bit concerning. He topped out at 95. And uh, I don't know if you guys were listening to the Nesson broadcasts, but to me, that was like the most frustrating part of the whole broadcast is like Dave O'Brien going, oh, he could throw 100. He could throw 100. He could you throw caught 100 that like too? Four times. Oh. And I'm like, no, he clearly can't. He just doesn't. Let's have see him throw 96. <laughs> like, yeah, like, he's throwing 94. He clearly doesn't have his best stuff. He can't just ratchet it up to 100 right now. Something's going on. He's tired. Something. Um, and even without his best stuff, he was able to, you know, get swings and misses out of the Mariners, who are not good offensively. Let's get that out of the way. They have a good record. It's mostly because of their pitching and bullpen. They do not have a good offense. Um, but playing in Seattle, always tough. We, we seem to lose in Seattle every time we play there. Uh, we're now 8-10 and 10 in our last 18 in Seattle, dating back to 13. The last time we won a series in Seattle, not a single Red Sox on the current roster, including Bogarts, was active. Bogarts was still in double-A Portland. So you needed to come out of there with a win, or at least not a sweep, uh, which we got into on deep dives last week. You could have put Seattle right in the heart of the wild card race and made it a four-team race, and instead Nate went out was the stopper, and uh, you managed to make it a three-team race down the stretch. So uh, Nate is now my guy as well for a while. (laughs) I've been the slowest one to come around on that. I've been the biggest sale defender uh, as we get there. But now that he's got COVID-19 and Nate just keeps doing it, uh, I'm going to go with Nate as well. Well, I think Sale is scheduled to pitch uh, game one of the weekend series. We'll get into that later. So... Uh, shouldn't be any worse for the wear, but Nathan, Nathan Evaldi, he's been the guy who's been cruising, and I think that's the way you have to go. Go back to 2016. You, you would have thought David Price probably gets game one of the divisional series, but they let Porcello do it, and rightfully so. He was basically the, the Cy Young winner. So I think you, you have to simply go with the best pitcher and not the ace by name you know guy which... well it's it's interesting terry you mentioned that we can get into it later who they're gonna pitch with a lot more certainty now because you know thanks to to chris cotillo of mass live we know 
that based on the upcoming off days and the fact that we've played two more games than everybody else in this playoff race, we have the ability to, if we want to, line up Sale or Avaldi to start about half the remaining games for, for this team here. Eight of them. So, yeah, eight, eight games of 14. So we can pick. Like, really, it's we were talking about whether or not it's going to come down to the last game and whether we're going to have the opportunity to, you know, pitch one of these guys if it comes to a wild card game. The way that the season is is ending for us, even if it is a tight race, we are going to be able to schedule it so Cora gets his guy. Well, here's one concern, though, and you guys have basically already touched on it. Evaldi didn't, didn't have the velo, so how... I mean, I get it. We we might have to utilize him as much as possible, but it's less than ideal. If you want him to still have some gas left for the playoffs. Yeah, I don't know if I want to push him as hard as I want to push Sale. I wouldn't mind seeing Erod figure out a way to get like a start against the Orioles and the Nationals, see if we can't get him on a roll. Um, God willing, we make the playoffs. Uh just get him, get him a little confidence going into a, a high leverage situation. Well, here's the thing with Erod. I was going to get into this later, but I may as well bring it up now. He seems to be fine against teams outside of the division. Teams inside the division, it's hit or miss. But my confidence well, it's is it's high. It's teams who don't see him. Teams that don't see him. Exactly. He's absolutely dominant. Exactly. I felt good about him going into this uh, Seattle start, but... You know, and and he he did pitch well against them earlier in the year, also. But if if he's going up against Toronto, Tampa, it's hit or miss. It's hit or miss. So we've got no choice, though. I mean, who are you going to start? Who else can go at least five innings or six innings? It's not. Well, how... now you're getting to the real question, right? Yeah. Because I actually am of the opinion. Uh, hopefully, oh, I'm of the opinion as we as we get you know down the stretch here. That if we can open up, and this is a big if, granted, if we can open up a, a lead on the Yankees in that next series with them, we will, down the stretch, probably skip a start from Nate Evaldi. That, that's my my guess. As far as giving him rest, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we pitch him on six days, uh, kind of move everybody back a day, or even just skip a start altogether. Uh, and put Connor Siebold in there for one game against Washington or Baltimore if we can open up a lead, say we take two of three from New York next weekend. One other thing before we move on. I touched on this in the last episode with Charlie. Before the season started, I thought if Evaldi had this type of year, trade him the next offseason and just get out of that contract. But can you do it now? Can you do it based on what we've seen with Siebold in our pitching depth? I he has to come back next year. I I would still move him. Really? If you can, I would still move him. I think durability concerns don't disappear after one healthy season. This will be the most innings pitched he's had in five years. Um, if he has a good October, his value will be extremely high. I would move on from him, and I would sign. Erod to a Erod? deal Ugh. instead. Well, you, you can think. you can still sign Erod without trading him. I I know I you'd I have, have to probably sign. Uh, but I mean, you'd probably have to invest that same money. Well, yeah, in that point, it's a negligible cost. 
because you're just cre- you're essentially creating a hole. Um, I no, I, you plug him in as your number two, three next year. I think you just roll with it. I, he's not even making that much now at the end of this. I mean, I think they're going to bring him back at this point because our minor league depth is questionable. We don't know if these guys are starters or relievers. They don't have the pitching depth. No, no, not at all. Absolutely. And hopefully Whitlock at some point next year will start. But, but, and I guess one other one last thing before we move on. Eduardo Rodriguez, is he basically, has his year been bad enough that he's going to be automatically resigned to taking that one year prove it deal or no you think he's a lefty he's under 30 years old he's still gonna get 20 million dollars annual value for a four-year deal from somebody i think that's high he might get four years i don't think it'll be quite that high i think he'll get four and he'll get 80 million i don't think it's going to be close teams are always looking for a lefty under 30 years old he does not, you know, without the heart condition, the mitocardosis has not really had that many injury concerns as far as his arm goes. Uh, and he doesn't really rely on a high velocity fastball that could fade uh, as he gets into his 30s. So for me, I, I think somebody's going to pay him. I really wouldn't be surprised. Well, a lot of it's going to come down to the new CBA as well, because if they raise the salary floor and teams need to spend some money, I mean, who who better to spend it on than a lefty in his twenties? I mean, th- those never become free agents. So he could definitely benefit if they rewrite the CBA, which obviously they will. But to benefit the veteran players like that, uh, it, I don't know. He he's got a couple of different options right now. I I don't think he would take. I think the eighteen or so million dollars would be his floor, and I think whoever's agent is we'll probably under, know if he's got a 20 plus million multi-year deal uh before he accepts or rejects I, it i i can't confirm this because I, I this could be fake news uh as some might say but i'm pretty sure he's a boris guy no he's not um you can pull it up on baseball reference real quick if you want under the bio area but um i think he's a three-year, $45 million max guy is, I think, the most he gets. And I don't think the Red Sox would pay him that. That's where, that's where I am on Rodriguez. But. I, I, I think he's going to get way more than that. I said I thought he would get five at 85 was my uh, preseason prediction if they got a deal done with him. And I still think that's a safe number for him. Really? Given the inconsistencies? Yeah. I mean – we look at guys like Oda Rizzi and uh, Garrett Richards and Kluber, what they got with arguably more question marks than Erod has. They're all older than him with significant arm health injuries. And I don't know. Uh, Erod went healthy uh, when not like, uh, you know, having heart, heart issues from, uh, from, from COVID has been pretty durable. He has injuries, but they're not arm related. Yeah, they've all been lower body aside from the, the COVID side effect. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, we're kind of all over the spectrum on that, but we'll we'll find out soon on Rodriguez. Uh, Job, who's your stud for the series? Uh, my stud for the series, my stud for the last 60 days, as you know, Terry, my favorite stat for the last 
three shows has been Bobby Dahlbeck's last 30 days. So Bobby Dahlbeck is my stud. He tied the game with a, a clutch home run in game two where I really thought, oh, here we go. The game's going to get away from us. And Bobby Dahlbeck went and hit one out to the opposite field. He took a couple of key walks in game three of the series. He's become a middle-of-the-order bat. I, I understand pinch, pinch hitting for him with Travis Shaw tonight. Against right-handed pitching late in games, he's never been great. But against starting pitching, against lefty pitching in particular, he's an absolute stud. Um, this is a guy now that, when you look at his numbers, would be a starter, I think, on most major league teams. And I'm not just talking about most American League teams that are going for the home run or bust. He's hitting now on the season 240, 22 home runs, 72 RBIs as a rookie with a 791 OPS. We do sometimes forget he is still a rookie um, based on his last season. What I really like from him uh, in this, you know, this stretch here, especially these last seven games, the last week since I was on the show, he's hitting 280. He struck out nine times in 26 at-bats, seven hits, seven runs, four homers, seven RBIs. Uh, he's really doing it all, and when he is taking walks like he did today, the lineup is so much stronger for it. It's almost like he needs to go to the school of uh, Kyle Schwarber because, man, oh, man, is he effective when he's not swinging at balls that are four inches off the plate. Some people have said that Schwarber has actually had a, a recent impact on him in, in his plate discipline. But uh, Andrew, well, he's gotten much better. I mean, you got to look at the number of strikeouts. How many strikeouts does he have over the course of the season? Too many. But over the last thirty days, he struck out twenty-six times in ninety-four at bats. Uh, Eighteen strikeouts in his last fifty-five at bats. Those are numbers that are far more acceptable. Uh, than what he was doing about two months ago. So we'll take that improvement all yeah, day long. It's about a 15% reduction anyway. But th <laughs> thoughts on Dahlbeck, Andrew? I mean, I've been th – there's no word to describe <laughs> how good he's been at the second half. I, he'd be a second-half all-star, and it wouldn't even be close uh, for first baseman. Um, we're approaching almost a full season for him. Uh, as a major league player, he's appeared in 143 games to this point. So if you project his 162 game average, he's at 34 home runs, 100 RBIs with a 246 batting average. And that in 2021 is that's a very, very valuable player. And his defense has definitely taken a large stride as well. Today, um, Devers tried to throw another ball away and the pick he made at first base to finish a double play was crazy good. Uh, it, it had no business of going into his club, but he scooped it. Um, saved them probably another run because uh, we all know what happens once they start throwing the ball around. The pitcher breaks down a little bit. Uh, we've seen it way too much in the last few weeks. Uh, huge props to Bobby. Um, he definitely bought himself uh, quite the long leash uh, going into next season, which will be very interesting, because um, you know if he continues to be this guy, it takes pressure off Tristan Cassis to be ready from uh, from the jump, which is only a positive. Which is huge for the organization, um, because I don't think under any circumstances do you want Tristan Cassis making that jump from spring training 
it's much more of a is he going to be ready to to make an impact come June or July situation similar to what we were hoping for from Jaron Durant can he give you that spark um you know Bobby Dahlbeck against right-handed pitching this year hitting 220 not good against left-handed pitching he's hitting 280 and that's something that you never thought he would be able to do uh, in any circumstance, let alone you know this early in his career because he was god-awful uh, in the first three months. His OPS in home games now, he's hitting 271, 328 OBP, 564 slugging, OPS of 892, would be second on the Red Sox this season uh, if he managed to keep it up for a whole season. Instead of just home games, it's interesting. I mean, I'm officially still on the let's sell Dahlbeck while his value's high wagon. But if he's doing, if he's putting up these second half numbers next year in the first half, then then sell high. No, no, then sell high. That's when you do it. If he could do this until Tristan Costas is ready in July, absolutely. Adios, Bobby. I don't think they will. If they don't trade him this winter, I I don't think they'll ever trade him at high value. If he's traded after this winter, it's going to be because his value plummeted and and we've just got better options. But but I just I guess I need to see a full year of him before I'm sold that this what we've seen the last two and a half three months is the player that he he truly is. He's never done this before at any level. He's never played this good at any level. So I just wonder about the, the long-term sustainability of it. Casas, I just pulled up his numbers. I couldn't get his on-base percentage, but he's hitting uh, 290 with uh, 12 home runs, 48 uh, runs driven in with a with a pretty respectable uh, 884 OPS. So he's definitely yeah. not going to be ready, though. At, uh, well, he's had a weird year. He's too. had a weird year. I mean, he's been he's flying and forth yeah. in Japan. He had a you know a bunch of different stops and starts along the way. He's True. by far the more polished defender. Um, offensively, there's very few holes in his swing, but there are still holes to, to iron out. Um, I would expect him to be ready at some point next next year. Um, probably closer to the dog days than to April or May. Uh, but it is possible that you get some impact at bats from him late in the season next year as we get closer because he will be on the Red Sox in 2021 in some capa- or 2022 in some capacity. He could be, and uh, the CBA could uh, impact some of that as well if uh, anything. Definitely. With service definitely time. A possibility. Yeah, service time could well, be different. If, if you think about Bobby Dahlbeck and you think about when he started hitting well, um, you go back to the trade deadline, and that's really when it started to happen. Is Heimblum gave him a vote of confidence that he was going to be the first baseman, and then clearly took a lot of pressure off his shoulders because by not going to get a first baseman, he's playing so much better. He's playing relaxed. He's hitting well. Uh, he's taking the ball to the opposite field instead of trying to hit it 500 feet every at bat. And uh, I wonder too if. Bobby Dahlbeck being moved up in the order has been a substantial part of that because he's seeing a lot more fastballs than he was seeing when it was him at the bottom of the order with strikeouts one and two uh, in front of him because 
you had Black Hole at the bottom of the lineup for two months. And I wonder if because of that, he was seeing breaking balls out of the zone and was trying to compensate um, for some of the other guys at the bottom half of the order. Now that he's hitting fifth and he's getting pitches he can actually drive, he's putting them over the right field wall, and that's awesome to see. Well, Schwarber, I think, was supposed to play first base. I mean, that was the plan, and I think that's where the spark kind of coincided with Dahlbeck because suddenly he felt his job was on the line. You saw another surge earlier in the offseason when Chavis got called up. Suddenly, for a solid week, week and a half, he was he was playing a lot stronger. So I, I think the vulnerability caused him to kind of rise to the occasion a little bit. Well, let's hope he continues to feel vulnerable then because this Bobby Dahlbeck is somebody you can have on your team in a big spot in a playoff game. Uh, and the Bobby Dahlbeck of the first half belongs on the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so let's get into some honorable mentions as far as the lineup goes. Xander Bogarts, 5 for 14, had a home run in the first game, had hits in all three games. Strikeouts uh, a little higher than normal. He had six of them in the series, but still swinging a good bat. Seems to be recovered from the the COVID IL. Nice to see. Alex Verdugo, four for 11, also had hits. And it also games. has emerged as a guy that can pinch hit. It, not a lot of guys can do that, but he is, he's a monster when it comes to it. And today... He should have had one, too. Um, absolutely smoked the hardest ball that was hit today. Uh, it was caught in left field. But this guy, whenever he's been called to pinch hit, is absolutely delivered, and not everyone um, can pull that off. You're so talking I, about I've Verdugo. Been, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and he's he certainly had some some late-inning uh, heroics off the bench and in and, and other games as well. Another guy kind of came out of nowhere this series, uh, Jose Iglesias, 5 for 8. Showed some power in the first game with a home run and had uh, hits uh, also in all three games. Hitting wasn't the problem here, by the way. I mean, we put up four runs in game one, eight game two, nine in game three. And this is a team that doesn't have a terrible pitching staff uh, starting and in the bullpen. So if anything is is encouraging going forward, it's that the bats are awake and, and our major bats are back from the IL, the COVID IL. Our bats are still as streaky as ever. I, I, I can't be excited about it yet. I mean, today we had a great start to the game and then no hits from the third inning to the eighth inning. And that's not going to win you ball games against deeper teams like the Houston Astros or the or the Toronto Blue Jays. It will win you games against teams that can't score. I mean, Seattle had a couple of opportunities there with the man on first base and nobody out multiple times. They let off, I think, three straight innings with a base hit and couldn't get it done. And that was not because the Red Sox bullpen turned into wizardry uh, halfway through the series. It was because they don't have a good offense. They have a negative run differential they're in this spot because they play when it matters most. They hit with two outs. Uh, they get out of jams. And when they get hit, they get crushed. Um, but the bats could be awake. I mean, we saw flashes of it uh, in the late innings. And it's it's just unfortunate, I think, that you know in game two, 
we let them climb back into it. It kind of takes away a little bit of that that feeling of momentum that you could have had here um, coming out of the series. Because I think if if Sonimura goes out there and shuts them down one two three in game two, then all of a sudden the narrative is okay. The first half magic's back, right? We just took two out of three. All the runs came in the ninth or extras. This this is big, uh, and instead it's wow, this is a tightrope every single time out. Uh, I still don't feel comfortable. I still think it was a step in the in the right direction regardless. I, I also forgot Schwarber. He was two for nine, but his two hits combined for five runs driven in, including uh, today in the 10th inning. So, uh, yeah. Andrew, any thoughts on, on the rest of the lineup? Yeah, um, Iglesias – that double play he turned and he's never really played second base before. Uh, that was ridiculous. When that ball was hit to him, I was like, well, crap, at least we'll get the out at first. And I kind of looked away for a second. I was like, did, did he just backhand flip that at like faster than <laughs> any guys ever like thrown over the shortstop. So him solidifying the D has been amazing. And it absolutely sucks that he's not eligible for the postseason roster. Cause it, uh, there's no one else I'd want playing second base from inning seven on uh, in a playoff series. Well, Arroyo hasn't uh, made an error yet, but also can't stay on the uh, field. Oh, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we still haven't seen Arroyo. I mean, the last time we saw Arroyo was what a month ago. Uh, I'm not His timing is going to be ready. gone. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't. I don't know what's going to happen with that, and I don't like. Has he been quarantined throughout this entire experience? Like, is he one of the guys that was he's, stuck in a hotel? Yes, and now he's he's getting ready to go out on a rehab performance, I believe, tomorrow through the weekend. He should be ready by the end of the Orioles series. So do they sneak him, like, those Bowflex adjustable weights? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how is he stay? You know, that's like three weeks of a professional athlete not getting a, a workout in and – you know, he probably lost some weight from COVID to begin with. I don't, he was I don't in even bad know what to shape. expect. He was in yeah, he got a really bad. Probably yeah, the he worst should be case. ready. He should hopefully be ready to go by the time we face New York uh, next Friday. I think that it'll is, take him longer than that, though. That is That is gives him six rehab appearances and about eight days since he was last in isolation. That's uh, that's a tough ask, no doubt. But the is. Sox do have two off days there. Um, if not, I mean, maybe he rejoins the team in Baltimore and Washington to get a couple of major league appearances in before a potential wild card berth. But I mean, there's also no doubt he 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 could miss the American League Division Series. Like, if you were in the wild card game, do you pencil him in if he's been? Well, yeah, you know, actually, hurt? What, if he's I don't available? know. Because if not, it's Danny Santana. So, yeah, I'm, I'm putting him in there. Yeah. <laughs> see, he, that's that's one way to think about it. We'll just see how he does in Worcester or, or Portland, wherever he ends up. And uh, he just hopefully he has a good rehab stint and then just makes a kind of a seamless transition back into the lineup. If anything, his defense should still be stellar. Uh, into the pitching, as far as honorable mentions, uh, we kind of touched on Rodriguez. I'll just give his line. Six innings pitched, gave up six hits, only one earned run, one walk, six strikeouts. That's par for the course for him in a solid start. 
Josh Taylor, a couple of good uh, outings from him. Uh, pitched two-thirds of an inning in game one. Didn't give up a hit or a walk. Struck out one. Pitched today as well. Uh, two-thirds of an inning again. Uh, gave up a walk, but it, it wasn't consequential. Uh, Adam Ottavino, he's another guy. Adam Ottavino pitches very well against teams that are not in the division. If it's in the division, he, he's been getting slapped around, but had had a good uh, outing. How uh, often do they see the slider? I mean, that's what it comes down to. If they've seen the slider four or five at-bats each, then all of a sudden it's not as effective. He has to come in a little bit, like another inch or two to get them to swing at it. And then they, he gets hit around a little bit. And that's why New York and Toronto can tee up on him. And Tampa as well. Um, yeah, so he had a couple of good uh, appearances, uh, including today. He got four outs, struck out two in that one. Garrett Richards also uh, pretty solid with a two-inning uh, appearance today. How went his normal four and one-third? So Richards came in, ate up a couple of innings, gave up two hits, didn't walk anyone, struck out one. Any thoughts on the... Uh, pitching bullpen looked good. Darwinson looked good the other day. Uh, I was really thrilled about that. I think he went, I want to say one and two thirds. He did. Um, yep. Yeah. Um, that was sorely missed. And if he's on, I mean, crap, you'll go back, rewind seven months. And we were like, predicting our closer we all said it was barnes but we wished it would be uh darwinson but we thought maybe he'd have the chance to win it later on obviously he kind of got off to a little bit of a wild start but if he's got things under control that bullpen just got so much deeper is barnes rehabbing is that why we haven't seen him he started the game tonight in portland okay yeah so he's i don't know how he did He's on an assignment. Yeah. I keep he is, wondering. He's on an assignment. He should be ready in, in a couple of days. He should be ready by the end of the Baltimore series. Um, hopefully, he'll have one more rehab appearance the day after tomorrow where he'll throw an inning. Um, and then he should be ready. What would that that be? Saturday, which would be game two, I believe. Against uh, Baltimore. Against Baltimore. Yeah. Which, if we need him against Baltimore, we have worse things coming, right? So, honestly, that's a situation where if they want to leave him down there, for an extra start or an extra inning uh, and then have him beat the team in New York on what is it, Monday uh, for that Mets two gamer. I'm okay with that too. I, I just don't, don't want to rush him back because the one thing we know about Barnes and the numbers show it on one day's rest or more, there's nobody more effective in the big leagues uh, to get three outs than Matt Barnes. And if he has no rest, he's trash. I don't want him coming back into the closing role or even the eighth inning role. I just want him to be eased back in. Today we had Whitlock warming up in the pen because it was at the start of that tenth inning. It, it was a clo- well, it was tied, and then we took a one-run lead right away. But he was going to close, and it looks to me like he is the closer, uh, even though it's not. You know, he's never been officially named that. I, I think that is his role going forward. I think Ottavino is going to be your closer uh, down the stretch here for sure. I hope, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the schedule here. We've talked about it a couple of times on the show. We should not need a closer more than three or four times the rest of the season. I mean, if you need your bona fide number one guy four more times out of these next 15 games, now 14 games now, 
then you're in trouble because those 14 games are against B-list opponents. Baltimore, Washington, uh, and then the rest are New York and New York. So you really need your guys to piece it together. I, I don't care who's the closer for the rest of the stretch run as long as your A-list guys, we talked about who the A-listers are, who the B-listers are, are ready for those last six games that are going to decide whether or not we're in the playoffs. I still think it's Ottavino the rest of the way, and I don't want Ottavino closing against the Yankees. I think that's asking for trouble. You know, I, I would like to see Whitlock close against the Yankees. I think Whitlock, the, the reason we haven't seen him named a designated closer, uh, quote-unquote, is twofold. One, we have guys on this team who've done the job before. We know Cora is a sucker for the veteran, uh, so to speak. And then two is he's one of maybe two guys on the entire roster that you can trust to go in and give you three high leverage innings at any given moment uh, in relief. You don't trust Perez to do it when he's healthy. Uh, Richards has done it uh, a couple of times since being named to the bullpen, but it's still Garrett Richards. Do you really want him three three big innings against New York? Uh, and then the same thing, you know, if there's an extra inning game, you don't trust Josh Taylor to go more than six outs. It's just we don't have a guy like that. Yeah, Taylor's been used for less than three outs, the most of his recent appearances. But Andrew, um, thoughts on the closing situation? I mean, ideally, Matt Barnes is back to where what he was uh, pre All Star break. Um, I would hope he's back up for Baltimore because I want him getting all the reps he possibly can get um, on normal rest against major league hitting because he need them. And there's just there's I mean, no substituting him. But he might get better opponents in Triple A and Double A than he's going to get in Baltimore. Like, let's be real. There's one hitter in Baltimore, maybe two. But the, mental- the mentality in the pressure isn't the same for a guy that's in his role of closer, which, you know, they obviously took him out of that for a while. and They said he was going to be up for a minute there. Um, I don't know what they'll do come the ninth inning when they have everyone healthy and ready. I don't think it will be Whitlock. I think he's too important. That can give you uh, – you know, those high leverage sixth innings, sixth and seventh innings when your starter starts to falter. Um, I don't know if it's going to be Tanner Houck now that they're going to be kind of cutting down on their starters because if they're going to pitch Ivaldi and Sale eight of the next 14 games, where does he come in? Because Pavetta's going to stay in the rotation. Um, Erod's going to stay in the rotation. They probably both have two or three starts each left. Uh, I don't well, know. We could easily do that math, Andrew. I mean, if you look at the schedule, right, four days from now on Sunday is our last game against Baltimore. If you if you schedule out the starts, that would normally be Nate Evaldi's day. That is, in my mind, the start that he skips. If we He's pitching that one. Is that confirmed? I don't have it in front of me as confirmed. Yeah, said it was going to be Sale, Pavetta, Ivaldi. Okay, so then when you have your next off day on Monday before you go into New York, you bookend off days. You have two games with New York with an off day on either side. That's where you can set it up. I mean, you could put Richards in to start one of those games in New York if you needed to uh, and then ratchet the starters down from there. 
Well, if you did that, then you're skipping Erod. So Erod will get that probably that first start against the Mets. Against the Mets. And then Pavetta. probably Sale. Oh, Sale? Sale. Yeah, I would say it's probably Sale. Okay. Unless they skip him. They skip a day, but so that would be you, Sale's day. Pavetta's getting skipped then under your alignment. No, no. Pavetta's going the day after Chris Sale. Uh, so he's going Saturday. Oh, oh Pavetta would go okay. Saturday. My bad. Yeah, so then Saturday and Wednesday. Okay. And then Thursday's an off day. And then you could line it up so that the three Yankees starters would be Evaldi. I don't know. To me, to me, it's, I don't know. At this point. To me, it seems like how this is an opportunity that you can start pitching him in the bullpen um, and using him twice a week. Uh, maybe he does get another couple, another start against the Yankees, but it seems like he there's a chance for him to go two innings twice in a series now because uh, they're shortening their rotation. I mean, if you shorten your rotation right now is the time to do it. You have four days off in the in the stretch run here over the next fourteen games. The only question is, I mean, you have to win those games even more so because you have less. It's almost like you'd rather have more games because it's being taken out of your hands. Even if you win at a good clip the rest of the way, you can still lose because the Yankees have two more games than you do to play, and so does Toronto. Yeah, and that's why I think moving Hauk into that weapon role is great. It's not like, all right, let's bring in uh, Robles now. It's like, no, let's bring in Tanner Hauk and then, you know, Garrett Whitlock. All of a sudden, you just burned through five innings and didn't have to worry about any base runners. I, I don't know. It just seems like they can weaponize Hauk and Whitlock uh, coming up in the next couple weeks and really set the tone for the playoffs should they make the ALDS where you got these two young guns just absolutely letting it fly uh, out of the bullpen multiple times series. Terry, what would you, what would you do here down, down the stretch? Would you put Hauk in that kind of two innings twice a week role or do you want him starting? Cause the way that I look at it, I want him starting in Baltimore. Like if we can skip Evaldi in Baltimore and give him a day off or, you know, not pitch sale, for more than four innings in Baltimore, that's to me to me the goal. Like throw Martin Perez out there if he's ready. Throw, you know, bums A, B, and C, whether that's Davis, Robles, whoever that is, uh, to get through that third game in Baltimore and give you guys a day off, back to back off days for the the big guns would be ideal for me. Honestly, I just want to start the best pitcher possible. Um, I'm a big, I'm a big Tanner Hout guy. I, I hope he becomes a successful starter in the future. I don't think he's going to be a six inning guy at any point this season. So if that puts him in the bullpen and, and Avoldi ends up being highly taxed these next couple of weeks, so be it. But at the same time, if it's looking like Evaldi's completely gassed, I think you do have to consider a, a plan B where maybe he does get skipped to start mm-hmm. if the velocity isn't up there. So we'll see. I mean, but... that's that's what I looked at it now, right? I mean, I look at it and say, okay, he's struggling with velocity. Maybe that's because they're just flying to the West Coast and it's been a long road trip, etc. But it also, I mean, he hasn't had a low stress outing in what five starts. 
we've won his last five, but I mean, every single time it's like, oh, we need to stop. We need to stop. We need to stop. Here comes Nate. He hasn't had a, a, a groove six innings. He's got eight runs of run support outing in like two months. And I just think he's he's due for one. So hopefully that comes in Baltimore where he pitches five innings, throws 80 pitches, and we can sit him down because we're up eight to two. Um, but well, if not, I just I would rather throw the bums against Baltimore. Well, I, I think we can win those games regardless. That's another scenario where if we're way ahead, you know, if it's the fourth inning and we've scored nine runs, then okay, you know, you can you can afford to maybe even put Perez in there for an inning or two or whatever. You can patchwork the rest of the game and then save Avoldi a little bit by not having him pitch more than a few innings if we do have the benefit of that big lead. But let's uh, let's get into the dud side. We're getting a little late here. So, Andrew, who is your dud with an S in parentheses for the series? Yeah, it was a collective effort. Um, collective bleep show, actually. Um, it was the defense. Uh, today kind of put me over the edge with Devers. I'm getting kind of tired of it. He had plenty of time on his throwing error. And quite frankly, if you overthrow uh, – Dahlbeck, all like six five of him at first base. It's like throwing a lob over Yao Ming's head for an alley oop. It's damn near impossible. He does it all the time. Dahlbeck bailed him out a couple innings later on a uh, double play, which granted Devers was under a little pressure from the guy sliding in, but still threw it two f- good two feet in front of him. Um, it's becoming a problem, and I don't want to get into it. Th- deeply right now because i think we will talk about it on the next show but uh renfro's made some questionable decisions um i don't know if he's not reading the ball correctly uh schwarber had a bad one uh travis shaw had a bad one and then oh then earlier today when renfro actually made a really good throw to devers devers just whiffed straight up whiffed and that led to an early run for uh for seattle and I, I, I don't understand why they're having these issues, or Devers in particularly, because he had been so good for a bit. Um, hopefully <laughs> hopefully they're getting them all out of the way right now, but I'm not a billion percent op- optimistic. And then then there's the, you know, the base runners. If Ploiecki, I mean, I think Yadier and Benji and Jose Molina could probably steal like 30 bags each a season off of them if they played in the AL East, even today. I He's thrown out 8% of base runners. That's pathetic. And it's bad. I, yeah, that's really bad. <laughs> so Especially if Ottavino's pitching him because he's got the exactly. slowest delivery. Yeah, I didn't think that was the greatest throw from Renfro. Should should. Devers have caught it? Yes. Should Devers have had the error? Yes. But I, I think Renfro needs to get better instinctively on when he really can throw a runner out. Now, if this is Joey Wendell in the ninth inning, I want Renfro taking that chance every time to try to nail him. But in the fifth inning, I just I think he's a little bit overzealous out there. And I think the worst error of the series was Renfro dropping that ball that was hit right to him. Right to him. He was under it. It wasn't, it wasn't a bad, he didn't, it wasn't a matter of taking a bad route. Like he was there and the ball came out of his glove. Like if it weren't for his arm, he wouldn't be a great defender, you know? So 
I think he, he needs to he needs to shore up some things too before we start flirting with a playoff run. You know, it's almost like laziness on behalf of the outfield. It's not like they're taking terrible routes to the ball, with the exception of you know Danny Santana when Renfro had to throw out Joey Wendell. I think they're taking good routes to the ball. They look like they're seeing the ball pretty well. I mean, Renfro reaching his glove up there without keeping his eye on the ball because he's looking for the runner. Like, that's – take care of the ball first. Like, you have to do 1A before you can do 1B. And it's at the point now where his arm has become so talked about across the league. You know no one's going. Like, I know he wants that outfield assist and he wants to take care of his pitchers, but I can guarantee you that Nate Evaldi does not care if you throw the runner out at third as long as you make the catch, for example. So – I would just like to see a little bit more effort from Redfro on taking care of the baseball before he goes to do the extra mile, which is throw the guy out. If you look at him not backing up the throw a couple weeks ago, costs us the game with the, the Toronto series. And then the next night he comes out and makes that great throw to third because he's backing up the throw. It's almost like he needs a constant reminder. I don't know who the Brian Butterfield of outfield is, outfield uh, defense is, but whoever that is, bring him in here. And while you're at it, if you can bring Brian Butterfield back, do that. Because holy good God, does this infield need some reps. Uh, it's getting to the point where I worry that it's going to leak over into the offense and then we're really up the creek without a paddle. Brian Butterfield is a guy who will get in their face if, if he was the – you know, in outfield coach, another guy too, Arnie Baylor, who apparently famously got into some confrontations with Ioannis Cespedes when he had that cup of coffee with the Red Sox late in, in 2014. I think this team needs that. I think our coaching is too soft. I think the manager, at least in front of the scenes is too soft. Maybe he goes off behind the scenes and we just don't know about it. I don't know, but there's a little bit of softness there. And, Maybe instead of a guy like Will Venable, he just needs a tough bench coach that's that's gonna that's gonna get in these guys' faces. Job, you mentioned lazy. An- another another glossary word for them is clumsy. At times, it's it's clumsiness as well. Yeah, and it, it's trying to do too much. I mean, Xander Bogarts doesn't have the range that he thinks he has, so I'm not going to tax him for it. Uh, but. Rafi kind of short-arming throws or when he runs in to try to make a barehanded grab to throw it to first, like every single time, I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, just put it in your back pocket. Like if you're coming in with your bare hand and Rafael Devers is trying to make that throw, put it in your back pocket because that guy's going to second base. Like almost every single time between Dalbeck's not great at first and Rafi tends to short-arm it or way overthrow it depending on the situation, it stresses me out that they don't focus on every pitch. And I wonder twofold. I wonder, one, if that is because the pitchers are slow to deliver. We have some of the slowest pitchers to home plate in the game. We we very rarely see um, teams make errors behind pitchers who are quick to home plate. And then the second part of that is, is Cora soft on them because he doesn't know how to be the bad guy or is he soft on them because he has this really close relationship with the players. He's a quote unquote players manager. 
and the front office wants to bring these guys back on the cheap because they don't want to pay anybody any money. And so they want the, the coach to be friendly with the players and have this good relationship because people want to come play for Alex Cora. I wonder, I think it's twofold. Well, this is the worst season I've ever seen as far as Red Sox defense goes. I mean, maybe you can go back into the early 2000s, into the 90s, whatever. Uh, admittedly, I'm not a great historian going back that far. This is far and away worse than I ever could have imagined for 2021. So, Well, the worst part of it is this, and Andrew will probably have thoughts on this as well. Cora in spring training, the one thing he harped on for the year that he was gone is yeah, they weren't good defensively in twenty in twenty twenty when I was serving my suspension. They were pretty bad defensively, and that's what we're gonna work on. That was like his big focal point. If that's your focal point, and this is what you were trying to instill, and you manage none of that, that concerns me even more. It's almost like, well, what are you doing right as a coach? Like these guys might be just getting off, getting by without Cora. I think Cora is a fantastic game manager, but is he instilling? you know, the basic skills of these guys, or does he need the skills around him in order to, you know, create wins because he's not teaching these guys anything new, uh, I mean, or anything consistent. Um, he's always had talent around him, both with Houston and in Boston. Any thoughts? Here? Well, I mean, I think Core's impact speaks for itself. And the guys played like crap last year, weren't motivated. He comes back. I mean, everyone wanted him back. I don't think there's any denying that. It, the defense is more of an effort thing, um, but that's just the individual player. If you can do all the drills you want. You can yell all you want, but at some point, once these guys turn professional, that's on them. You know, these guys aren't going to listen. You know, they don't give a shit if you yell at them. It's just going to go in in one ear out the other. It's guaranteed money. If you cut someone you know they're just gonna go somewhere else it doesn't matter that check's guaranteed there's zero real accountability with that i mean it's a terrible analogy but if a guy fumbles once in football and he's just like a seventh round pick you know he's shaking his boots knowing that his job's on the line because he made a mistake non-guaranteed contracts versus guaranteed contracts Baseball, it's whatever. They're locked in. Um, they're making ridiculous sums of money. And, yeah, I it, it's a, it comes down to pride, attention, and uh, effort. And I the, it's been aggravating to see some of these faux pas lately. I still think there has to be some accountability. And I, I'd like to – I'd like to I see think that, a little more animated. I think that, would, you know, I'd rather see a guy like Xander get into Devers over Cora. And there's probably not someone that can really go at Renfro as much. You know, he's a newer guy this year. I don't know who his peer is. You know, you look at the outfield, it's Verdugo's not going to call him out. Um, Kike... Maybe you would talk to him, but no, not it, it's, yeah, I don't know. Exactly. There's not that, you know, the presence we've seen in the past. You wouldn't have like there. There's no Ortiz. I guess that would be Xander. And I, 
is he going to tell them to cover more range? I don't know. It's kind of tough. Well, they got to clean it up. I can't wait to see what what the next next year's roster looks like because I, I do think there are going to be some pretty surprising moves that take place this winter. But, Job, you're dud for the series. My dud for the series is the aforementioned Kike Hernandez. 0 for 11 in the series. He did smoke the ball in game three. Three fly balls to the outfield, uh, or line drives, rather, to the outfield. Um, I do think he took a walk today, but I, I could be wrong. Um, I don't have his numbers in front of me. I'm not showing one. He has not, yeah, he has not looked good since coming off the COVID IL. Uh, we do know he was one of the guys who got the worst of the COVID. He was also the first of the guys to get sick. Uh, in a breakthrough case, and he just has not looked like his timing is back yet. Um, the good news, we're going into Baltimore. That's a get-right series for everybody because who doesn't love facing double-A pitching? Uh, so I, I look for him to bounce back, and I'm not too concerned uh, at this moment. If it, If he struggles through the Baltimore series, then you can start to raise some red flags. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to get on a guy that missed as much time as he did. And I, that that goes back to my concerns about Arroyo that we kind of just hit on there a second ago. Uh, the third game was super encouraging. He hit the ball right on the screws three times in a row. Uh, each time I was like, oh, crap, uh, could leave. Then, you know, you're not a Fenway. But um, if he's got his timing down, it's that's all you can ask for. He shores up that outfield, which is what we need. He'll be fine. I'm not too concerned. And it's just going to take reps and a get-right series. Because once he gets right, I think he'll be the same player we've seen. I won't kill him either. I mean, he was the worst at the plate, so it's appropriate that he's a dud. He did, however, only strike out twice. So not not terrible, I guess, in, in that regard. One guy. Yeah, who, I mean, he's only, he's still seeing the ball, Terry. Right? Like, yeah. you can tell that he's still seeing the ball well. He's not striking out on uh, looking. He's not too far behind, but he's fouling off a lot of pitches, and he just hasn't been driving the ball. So it, it, that's kind of where it is. Yeah. In next series, that that's a good one. Like you said, one guy who struck out more times than he's probably ever struck out in his life in a series. Hunter Renfro struck out, I'm doing the math right now, eight times in 12 at-bats, including a four-strikeout game in game one. So uh, uncharacteristic of Renfro. I mean, he's never been super robust in terms of racking up the hits, but this wasn't uh, a great series. Did hit a home run today uh, for his one hit for the series, but um, not not great uh, coming into today anyway. He's the only real uh, other dud in the lineup. I mean, Shaw was 0 for 2. Pulecki 1 for 6. Not going to really roast them. Um, Ryan Brazier, a little concerning there. He didn't have much help from his defense, but did give up a three-run shot. So, And Sully Mora as well. Also and, concerning. Yeah, I, was I just think about to Brazier get were, I think, unfortunately, the writing's on the wall for this season for him. I don't think he's going to make a postseason roster should they make it. He better start showing us something quick, but you, you could be very right about that. And then, as Job said, there is no person I trust 
any less in this bullpen right now than Sawamura. I just, even before the COVID IL, walks, hits, getting slapped. Dude has just lost it. Nobody's swinging at his splitter anymore. It's not a strike. Well, the book is out on him. He doesn't throw strikes, right? That's that's the issue with Sawamura. His best pitch is an A+, plus, like a highlighted A-plus splitter. But if you don't have pitches, specifically a fastball, that forces guys to chase the splitter, you're not going to be effective. And his fastball, not only is it straight, but right now he just can't locate it. And when he is locating it, it's only up in the zone. So guys are getting all over it. They're slapping it to right field. Uh, and when it's a ball, they're, they're simply seeing it too well and just taking it. And when your best pitch is not a strike pitch, you need your other stuff to be playing very, very well, and it does not with Sawyer at the moment. Andrew, thoughts on Sawamura? Yeah, pitch him the next uh, series, throw him out two times the next three games, get his feel back. I He's important. Um, he's definitely important, and um, I hope he gets right. I love him. I love watching him pitch when he's on. Um, it sucks that he's kind of faltered. This is probably more than he's thrown in a while, quite frankly. Um, I don't know if that has to do with anything, but if they can get him right, that, that'll that be big. But, you know, they're all battling for limited spots at this point. Especially I, I, worry about, I worry about him now. I mean, Austin Davis has emerged as kind of a weapon uh, for Cora. Cora does look like he likes Austin Davis. I don't like Austin Davis, but Cora likes him. Uh, and you wonder if maybe Sonny Morris' spot might be in jeopardy as well. Uh, he's walking a lot of guys. He, and if, if he can't command the fastball, the splitter doesn't matter how well he commands it, he's not going to play. So he might be a guy that doesn't make big strides in the next couple of weeks. You sit him down. One thing I think he has going for him, I don't see them carrying three lefties. So I think Austin Davis uh, draws the short straw in that situation. If Darwin's in continues to pitch like he was, then absolutely. Yeah. And Taylor, they seem to have found a way to utilize him a, a little bit better as well. So, all right, let's uh, go ahead and just get into this Orioles series. We don't have to spend a ton of time on it. Uh, let's see, Friday night. Is that right? I'm showing Nick Pavetta, but isn't that supposed to be Chris Sale? Maybe they rearranged it. I, the way he put I, it in I'm his I'm showing Nick Pavetta as well, yeah. but Cora can't, I don't think, declare that Sale is going to pitch that game until he passes the COVID testing. Okay. So that might get reshuffled around once sale test negative. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, because I, I saw a tweet saying that it would be sale. I wonder if I should just – yeah, I'm not going to dig that up. Well, we don't have to get into it too much. Aiken is pitching game one for the Orioles. I'm not that familiar with him. Uh, Lowther, Lowther, he's going game two, and they have a TBD on Sunday. So – uh, do, do we agree this is a sweep? It, it better be. All right, here's <laughs> it better a, be a sweep. Andrew's on mute. Oh. 
Oh, there he is. Yeah. He's yeah. No, I was going to say it, it better be a sweep. <laughs> okay. That'll suck if it's not. I, I don't even know what they're going to do. I, I that you know, let's, I guess we're hoping for what a 17 inning game tomorrow between New York and uh, Baltimore. And that's, that's our best case scenario. Cause you know, I actually think that Baltimore could win tomorrow. Um, I hope they do. Their only, their only good starter, and granted he is a rookie, is going tomorrow. Um, but he has been giving teams absolute fits, and that is I have to pull up, pull it up now because I closed. Someone named Ellis. I I don't even know who the hell this uh, guy okay. is. Okay, so <laughs> he's got a two point oh eight ERA over six starts. He's thrown twenty two innings, eighteen strikeouts, eight walks. Uh, and a 199 career ERA with one more game than that. Over his last four, he started four games, 255 ERA. That includes Toronto, the Yankees, Toronto again. Uh, and he was dominant against the Yankees the last time out, five innings, one hit. So I, I think he could give them fits tomorrow against Jordan Montgomery. And we're all big Baltimore fans tomorrow before we're rooting against him for three days. Well, hopefully that happens. So, before we wrap, 27 and a half runs. That's what I'm setting it at. Are we over that or under that as far as scoring in this series? Over. I'm going to say under. Under? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's and, and scoring Terry, nine I a game. And have the run line from Vegas. Oh, if, what if is you're it? Interested. <laughs> okay, I'm interested. The, the run line from Vegas is 25 and a half. Oh, all right. So, so, I, so you're a little higher than that, and I, I still think the over hits. Uh, okay. I, I think by a mile. All right. Yeah, you're the you're the Vegas man on this crew. So, well, Andrew actually is like Andrew. The, Andrew would be the, he, the Vegas guy as well. I just happen yeah. to have the numbers in front of me because I was gotcha. betting that game before I came online. Gotcha. All right. Well, on that note, we will wrap. Twenty four hours after this one, will be deep dives. We're going to be talking about. Xander Bogars, Raphael Devers, how sustainable is it for them to be around multiple years, like long term? So I, I guess more than that. So we're going to get into it, probably talk some future alignments, whatnot. And then on Sunday night, we will be back, Charlie, Jason, and myself to discuss the Orioles series, hopefully a sweep. Take care. <laughs>